You did a great job. Appreciate you so much. Uh, I've been preaching a series entitled For King and for Kingdom. And uh, we are continuing in that series today. And my title for this sermon this morning is Netted Together. Not knitted together, netted together. I want you to open your Bible with me. I know we put the verses up on the screen, but I encourage you, bring a Bible. Why? Because when you have your own Bible, you can make notes. It will inspire you. Something will jump off the page, and you go home, and you continue reading. We need to be people who are literal with the Bible. Carry the Word of God, know the Word of God, practice the Word of God. Am I saying something right? Absolutely. All right. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. Now, before I start, Amber, I'm going to point out the fact that the passage I'm about to read is repeated in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Now, when I say repeated, not word for word. Matthew and Mark both write down this particular story. Now, It's interesting, it's important to take note that sometimes the Gospels will repeat similar stories or the same story. And when that happens, it's God's way of saying, there's a nugget in here and I want you to see it. I want it to catch your attention. And so not only are these Gospel writers literally Uh, repeating or telling the story of what happened. And so, of course, if they're telling the story of what happened, they will cover some of the same ground. But the truth is that when a story is repeated, there's something of importance hidden in that story that God wants us to take hold of. And so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So here's two brothers, Peter, also at times known as Simon, and his brother Andrew, and here they are casting their net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. So we have two sets of brothers. Both sets of brothers are fishermen. And the first lot are casting their nets into the sea. And the second lot are mending their nets. Now, while this might be part of the story, it would be easy to conclude and say, this is not relevant information. Why bother wasting time with little particulars like this? And the thing is that God is often in the little particulars. 
okay? God is often in the details. And so we see here, they're mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus says, follow me, it's a lot more than just saying, believe in me. When he says, follow me, he says, walk the way I walk. He says, go where I go. When he says, follow me, he's telling us to do what he does. To follow Jesus is to imitate him. To follow Jesus is to do the things he does. To follow Jesus means to change your thinking to agree with his thinking. Listen, you could believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have a very different opinion on life and in your ideology not be a follower of Christ. Hello? Here's the problem. In the American church today, because numbers are more important than truth. Did you hear that? Because numbers are more important than truth. You see, we don't measure success by how honest or how true something is. We measure success by how big things are. And that's the culture of the United States of America. If it's big, it's got to be successful. And so we measure things by how big they are. And so here in the church, we've preached the gospel and we've taught people, believe on Jesus. Jesus didn't say, believe me. He said, follow me. Oh, amen. He called people out of their way of living into his way of living so that they would walk like he walks, talk like he talks, do the things that he did and think the way he thinks. Listen, we will live a very warped Christian life if we see the world through our culture only. We need to see the world, that is, the people around us, through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Because if we only see the world through our culture, we're all going to have some area of resentment, rejection, hurt, disappointment, and ultimately unforgiveness. But when we see the world through the eyes of Jesus, it brings us into conformity with the heart the mentality, and the attitude of God the Father. Come on, I know I'm saying some good stuff here today. Let me have it. Come on, give it to me. The Bible says that an ox is worthy of the grain that he is helping to mesh. And so the Bible says don't muzzle an ox. You know what a muzzle is? Let him eat. So when the preacher's preaching... Let him enjoy the benefit of what he's saying. Give me an amen. amen. Ah, you see, you give me strength and energy to go to the next point. All right. You see, here in America, we want success is numbers. Success is big. And so we will water things down so that we can get a greater mass of people so we fit into the category of being successful. 
to Jesus, truth and standing for truth was the measurement of success. And so we need to be people who understand that truth isn't just something we believe, it is a principle that cannot be compromised. Jesus taught us to follow him. The church of America has become insipid. It has become weak. It has become bland. It has become ineffective because we believe in Jesus, but we don't walk the way he walked. We don't talk the way he talked. We don't think the way he thinks, and we don't act the way he acts. And if we want to see a church that can bring a revolution to our culture, to our communities, and to our cities, we need to be a church that is following Jesus and living life the way Jesus lived life. That alone would revolutionize the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. We want to be impressed by bling. We want to be impressed by programs. We want to be impressed by everything that appeals to the flesh and makes the flesh go, wow. Do you know we're still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good instead of eating from the tree of the knowledge of God? We look for things that are good. Whoa, I'm impressed. But we need to hunger for the knowledge of God. Somebody say, man, he's hitting it today. Jesus called people to follow him. We've put an emphasis on believing him. And then we wonder why the church isn't powerful like the early church. You see, to follow Jesus means you give some stuff up. To follow Jesus means you make a sacrifice and you go where he goes. To follow Jesus means you gotta have a lot more passion and a lot more skin in the game than just saying yes. Thank you. Come on. We need to become followers of Jesus in that we become imitators of his life and his lifestyle and his vision and his purpose. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not get fanatical about the kingdom of God. Jesus lived to shut down the kingdom of darkness and to advance the kingdom of God. If that's what he lived for, John said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest here on earth to destroy, to shut down, to trample on all the works of slavery, of uh, uh, mental oppression, emotional disruption. Jesus came to trample on the works of demons and to utterly mess with and incapacitate the kingdom of darkness. You could believe in Jesus and sit on the sidelines and say, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have to live for the same purpose. To destroy the works of demons in people's lives. To show people that God 
loves them and cares about them and wants to restore them. To promote the fact that Jesus is a restorer of humanity and he's come to break the things that divide us and to restore the things that unite us. Come on, I think he deserves a praise offering for that. Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to ask you a question. Who or what are you following? Because the American church has been told it's okay to just show up and be a believer. And the first thing that will weaken the church of Jesus Christ is if people only show up and sit in a seat and say, I believe. It's when we become followers that we go beyond the 18 inch by 18 inch cushion that makes our butt feel comfortable. <laughs> when we become a follower, you can't just stay sitting. Amen. You have to do. Amen. Hello? You have to do. And so my question is, who are you following or what are you following? We get so caught up with particular ideologies, mental belief systems. We have a passion for this and we have a passion for that. And this is my pet peeve and I'm going to get on my political rant. Listen, let's be followers of Jesus and be passionate about the things that he was passionate about. Let's speak about the power of God. Let's speak about the name of Jesus. Let's speak about that God so loved the world. He came to save every human being from their own mess as well as the mess of the rest of the world. Let's talk about the fact that greater is the one who is in us than the one who's against us. There's no competition. We are overcomers by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the difference between a lukewarm Christian and a hot Christian is a lukewarm Christian believes but doesn't do anything about it. A hot Christian is a Christian who is a follower of the lifestyle and the belief system of Jesus Christ. Turn to somebody and say, man, he is hitting it today. Who or what are you following? We have become so comfortable in our American culture. Our American culture teaches us that success is to have a higher education and to get a degree and have an excellent job and build a world around us. And the gospel of the kingdom of God says, live your life to save the world and I'll take care of your personal world. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, your father knows you need them and he will take care of it. Amen. Praise God. What I love about this passage is it says they immediately left their nets and followed him. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Do you, know, do you understand this was a family business? 
John and James were in the boat with their father, Zebedee. And Zebedee, when he was a young man, was probably in the boat with his father. And this was a trade that was handed down through the family. This was their education. This was their income. This was their future. This was their source. This was the vehicle that would give them a retirement. And they left the boat and left their father in the boat and came and followed Jesus. I think if we concentrated more on turning the church into followers of Christ than just making them believers of Christ, the church would have already had more impact on this nation and we wouldn't be where we are. So we can all agree, but the question is, are you going to leave your nets and leave your boat and say, I don't want to just believe in the man of Galilee. I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to make his priorities my priorities. I'm going to make his mindset my mindset. I'm going to drop my cultural blues and my cultural woes and my cultural perspective and I'm going to take on the perspective of God and I'm going to look at the world. It is one kingdom against another. The kingdom of darkness has invaded the kingdom of humanity and they want to make slaves and puppets and, and, and prisoners of every breathing human being but the kingdom of God has come to earth to set the captives free. I want to have God's perspective and I don't want to look at the world and say what can the world give me? I want to look at the world and say, Dad, how can I make a difference? If you believe that, stand up and give the Lord an ovation today. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. If we only believe in the gospel of salvation, it's about everything God can do for you. But the gospel of the kingdom of God is about everything that God did for me and everything I can do for him. This was a family business and a partnership. Did you know that Peter and Andrew were actually in a corporation together with James and John? It wasn't just that James and John had a family business with their father Zebedee and maybe their grandpa. It wasn't just that Peter and Andrew were brothers in a family business. They were actually associates because when you study the Word of God, it's amazing. You know, it's a little bit like playing detective, and you find all these little clues. Watch this. Luke tells a story how Jesus was preaching on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and there were so many people, they were crowding him into the water, and there were two fishing boats. It specifically says he took one of the boats which belonged to Peter, and he got in the boat and rowed out so that as he preached, his voice would reverberate on the water and it would reach the masses. 
When he finished preaching, he came back in and he goes to Peter and he says, Peter, I want you to take your net and go out and throw it overboard. And Peter looks at the carpenter's son. Dude, this isn't your trade. I know you're a rabbi. I know you're the master. But trust me, when it comes to the natural, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. We fished all night. It doesn't matter how many times you throw your net out. If the fish aren't there, the only thing you're going to catch is water. But out of respect, Peter says, even so, I'm going to do what you said to do. And I think that Peter, in a sense, was showing a form of obedience, but he was also trying to just appease the master. Well, the story goes that when Peter threw his net over the boat, there were so many fish, he had a call to the other fishing boat to come and join him. And they did. And Bill, even with that, the Bible says the net was breaking because there were so much fish. Watch this in verse 8 to 10. When Simon Peter saw this, they pulled this amazing amount of fish in. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said, follow me, they weren't just walking away from a rinky-dink mom-and-pop business. Well, we really wanted to get out of the family business anyway. No. This was more than just a business. It was a corporation, and here was another family, and there was a partnership together, and they were working that side of Galilee and making a decent commerce out of it. And so when Jesus said, come and follow me, he said, leave your affairs and make my affairs your primary business. You see, we have to understand something about the gospel of the kingdom. When I give up my world for his world, God will take care of my world. Amen. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that you rightfully need and want, your Father in heaven will give them to you. Amen. This is a kingdom principle. If I only preach the gospel of salvation, it's all about what God's going to do for you. But if I preach the gospel of the kingdom, it's about what God will do for you and what we're called to do for him. Amen. Come on. Amen. Yeah. And so there are deliberate, specific things that we've omitted in the church today. And we wonder why the church is lackluster. We wonder why the church isn't more effective in community and in government. We wonder why are we losing our nation? It's slipping through our fingers. And today we're telling kids in elementary and middle school, it's okay if you identify as a cat we will believe you and we'll go along with the charade 
but that's today. I had a, a parent telling me how their son came home from school just this last week that just passed. And um, she brought it up. She was telling me how her son came home from school. There are a number of girls in school that identify as cats. And so they wear the headband with the cat ears and they stand in the hallways and they meow to each other and to everyone who passes by. This is not the first time I've heard this. I heard a story from another pastor in Tennessee that one of the kids in, in, the, class, in the church got in trouble. He's a 10-year-old, and the little girl next to him kept meowing as a cat, and he couldn't hear the teacher, and he told her to be quiet, and he got sent to the principal's office, was reprimanded because he was challenging her identity as a cat. He got written up and sent home with a letter from the school telling the parents he cannot suppress who she was, and all he wanted to do was hear the teacher. The parent I spoke to this week here in Tampa, so I just quickly told you a quick story from Tennessee. She said, my son came home and he's telling me about these girls and he's been talking about it for quite a while. Now the school is actually talking about and telling the students that they are considering putting kitty litter in the bathrooms. They have it in Canada. We wonder, what happened to the church? When I read about the church in the New Testament, they were turning their world upside down. When I look at the church today, we've turned the gospel upside down. We've reduced it to the lowest common denominator. We've become insipid. We're believers, but not followers. And then we wonder why the world is turning the world upside down. Jesus said, follow me. And they got up and they left their business for the king's business. You know what Peter said in his heart when he was casting a net and Jesus said, come follow me? He said, for king and for kingdom. And Jesus said, good, I'll make you a fisher of men. You know what John and James said as they sat in the boat of their corporation and Jesus said, come follow me. They said, for king and for kingdom. One of the reasons why the church isn't making an impact is because we haven't let Jesus impact us enough and we're still doing our thing our way instead of doing his thing his way. Hang on a second, hang on a second. I'll give you 10 seconds to say ouch. Now agree with me and put your hands together. Jesus didn't come to make the church a bunch of believers. He came to make the church followers of what he thinks, of how he thinks, what he does, what he says. How am I doing? I love this country. In fact, I love the world. 
But the church of Jesus Christ is not making the impact they need to make around the world because we look and smell too much like the world. Oh, come on, Pastor. Yes, that's a good one. If the way the world is okay, then Jesus didn't need to come and save anything. He came to save because what was in the world was going to hell in a handbasket. Can he say that in church? Yeah, hell's in the Bible. It's everywhere. They made the king and the kingdom a priority. Now what's really interesting, and I need to wrap this up quickly, and it's this, that there are two things that get mentioned in the, the gospel. Both gospels say it, Matthew and Mark, they identify two things. Not only did Jesus call people to be followers, and I'm challenging every one of you. Do you believe in Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to change your set of values and your thinking for his thinking. And you have to stop living for your goals and your priorities and trust that if you live for his goals and his priorities, he'll take care of your goals and your priorities. Amen. He said it. He said it, it's recorded, it is written. And he put his blood on this contract, he made it a covenant. What would America look like if the churches weren't filled with believers, they were filled with people who were imitating the lifestyle of Jesus Christ? Come on, come on, let me hear it. But there are two things that get mentioned by both gospel writers. One, Peter was casting his net in the sea. And the other was that James and John were mending their net. You see, I think this story is here for a reason. Because when you're casting your net into the sea, it's all about the fish you're gonna catch. Now. I won't bother trying to throw this the way I normally would throw it. I'd be afraid of hitting somebody in the head with a lead weight. But when a fisherman is throwing his net, it fans out and makes like a circle as it lands, which that didn't do, and it catches a lot of fish. There were two attributes here that Jesus saw in the natural that relate to spiritual things. Number one, he said, I will make you fishers of men. Catching fish, winning men and women to Jesus Christ. Every one of you here that have asked Jesus into your life and you've become a born again Christian, you were fished out of the ocean of pollution. You were fished out of the ocean of brokenness. You were fished out of the ocean of depression and you were won and rescued by Jesus Christ. Amen. On the one hand, he saw people who understood the importance of fishing. On the other, he saw two brothers who were mending their nets. Why would the Bible make sure that two of the gospels included little incidentals like this? Unless there's a nugget of truth and it's very important. You see, part of what weakens the church of America today 
is that we've lost the passion to save the lost. We've lost the passion to go fishing. That's why every Sunday, and today included, I will make an opportunity for people who have never asked Jesus into their heart to raise their hand and say, yes, I want to let Jesus in my life and I want Jesus to start leading my life. It is very important that the church is evangelistic. It is very important that the church goes to people that are working in industries that we want to shun. It is important that we go to every lifestyle and every background and nobody's life is too messed up to get saved and redeemed by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Everybody is so important that Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. But the second thing about men, the fact that they were mending their nets is the second point. And it's very important. And if I could borrow uh, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gabriella again, and uh, if I could borrow uh, Don and your wife, could the four of you come out here for a moment? Mary? Okay. And Pastor Daniel, you already did this here. If I could have the two ladies standing in the front and the two men stand behind them. And uh, I want to illustrate something here. Daniel, put the net over their heads. And I'm going to ask the guys to hold it up high so that the girl's hair doesn't get messed up. How about you hold this here? There you go. I don't want to mess up their hair. You see, if you're not mending the nets, you get holes big enough that when you catch the fish, some of them can escape. And what's important in this story is that Jesus was illustrating through the lives of two people two very fundamental things that is lacking in the church today. Number one, evangelism, catching the fish, catching men and women. And number two, mending the nets so that not one will escape. You see, guys, if you could put this here up on the screen, fishing with a net isn't just about catching fish. It's about keeping everything you catch. On the one hand, it's evangelism. On the other hand, mending the nets is about pastoral care. Are you hearing me, church? Peter and Andrew were casting their nets. You see, Jesus called out to you about four or five weeks ago. And you raised your hand and you asked Jesus in your heart, how old are you, Victor? 72. Wow. 72 and you came to Jesus. Buddy, I am so proud of you. So proud of you. I mean, that was a really important decision, and here you are. That was four or five weeks ago, and I think the last three Sundays, or at least three Sundays, you've been in church, and you're eating this up. Is this very different than your previous world? Okay. A fish was caught, but the net has to be mended so that the fish can be retained. Are you hearing me? And in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to catch fish and we need to retain fish. 
look at somebody and say, you are too important for me to let you go. God needs you. God wants you. And you're important in the kingdom of God. Amen. Do you know the enemy wants to get underneath the net and he wants to steal some of the fish. Jesus called us to be fishers of men, but a fisher of men also mends net. There is evangelism and there is pastoral care because every person in the body of Christ is as much and is as important to God as the next one. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. You could put the net down. Why would I make this analogy? Well, I want to show you that this was implemented into the pattern and the structure of the early church. You see, in the early church, the Bible tells us that they met in temple courts and they met house to house. When we meet publicly like this in the temple courts, so to speak, it's a great opportunity for evangelism. But it's very hard in a large group like this for me to make sure that every fish is kept and taken care of. And so the Bible says they also met house to house. There were house leaders that the apostles established and the church was broken down into small groups and the house meetings were like nets. They helped keep the catch and make sure that everyone was being looked after and that everyone stayed as part of the body of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the church met publicly, and we're used to this. We like this. We like to meet. This is convenient. It can be convenient. But when we meet house to house, now instead of just sitting, we have to participate. Now in just, instead of just showing up and listening, now we have connection. We have involvement. We are interacting. We're getting to know each other. We're opening up. We're becoming a little vulnerable. We're letting people have eyes on us. And that's important. Because we are our brother's keeper. We are meant to look after each other. We are meant to hurt when somebody else is hurting. In a large group, I don't know everybody's needs. I won't even hear about everybody's needs. But in a small group, pastoral care kicks in. And as people are opening, as they're sharing from the, the study lesson, as they're opening up their heart and talking about their lives, the rubber hits the road and suddenly the body of Christ is looking after the body of Christ and the church is starting to look like the early church again. Amen. In Acts chapter 5 verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were being done among the people. 
And they were all, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The church met at a place called Solomon's Porch. Now, you may not know what Solomon's Porch is, but it's where Jesus often preached. It was a public gathering, something like an arcade, and it was attached to the temple. It was part of the temple grounds. And so Jesus not only preached up and down the streets, he not only sent his disciples to go house to house, Jesus was often reclining at a table, meeting with new people, having uh, and breaking bread and sharing the truths of God. But he also went to the public arena, Solomon's porch, and he would preach to the crowds. I'll show you in John chapter 10, verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. The church met in a large group. It met publicly. It, meant in a, it met in facilities like this. We have another incidence where Paul is preaching the gospel. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 8 to 10, it says, And he, Paul, went into the synagogue. He was not in Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem. Synagogues were houses of worship all over the countryside. And in fact, in this point, I think Paul is actually somewhere in Asia, but the local Jewish community had built a synagogue. And Paul goes into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Notice, Paul didn't preach the gospel of salvation. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of salvation is all about you and your world. The gospel of the kingdom of God is about us, and where we fit into God's world. Are you hearing me? But stay with me. He says he was preaching concerning the things of the kingdom of God, but when some people were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, sorry, and spoke evil of him, of the way, sorry, when some of the people were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitudes, he, Paul, departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. So here we see... The biblical pattern, Paul's meeting in a public place, it's a synagogue in Asia. There were Jewish immigrants there. It was their goal to convert people to Judaism. Paul went to the synagogue where there were Gentiles and Jews, and he starts telling them about the fulfillment of Abraham's faith and how it is fulfilled in Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's reasoning there in a public building just like this. And after three months of 
opposition, he goes and rents a school called Tyrannus in a public location, in a public lecture hall, and he starts having meetings there for two years. This is a biblical pattern. To meet together here is a God thing. It's one of the things that made the early church strong. But if we look at Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul makes this declaration. He says, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I have taught both in public and from house to house. Church, we need to get back to the pattern of the early church. This is, if we only do this, this is very comfortable and very convenient. And Jesus never meant for us to belong to an institution. The church was always the living body of Jesus Christ. It's people. And you are a part of the church by being a part of other people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Yeah, go on. As I conclude here this morning, I want to give you a couple of quick illustrations because so many times, Amber, we read Scripture and we don't realize we're passing by heaps of information and it's not clicking. We don't notice that while it looks like an incidental it's there and it's repeated over and over again. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19 to 20, this is Paul and he's writing, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord and so does the church that meets at their house. You see, church isn't just something you go to, you are the church, and in the houses, they were in smaller groups, smaller numbers, they were inside a net that didn't have holes in it, and people were able to be shepherded and pastored and looked after. You see, what happens in house groups is that people start to share their needs, and they say, hey, uh, could you guys... Pray for me. I have an interview coming up. Or pray for me. My mother's sick. In small groups, we start to hear about the needs of our brothers and our sisters. Here, we participate on a corporate level, and we could all say amen. We get stirred up. We can shout and praise God. But when we meet together in small groups, in houses, we are interacting and we are connecting and we're finding out things about each other and we're seeing that other people are hurting like we're hurting and we find opportunities to meet somebody else's need rather than just meeting our own needs. Yeah. Romans 16, verse three to five. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he talks about Aquila and Priscilla again. They didn't just get together once. And so he says, well, the church that's meeting in the house tonight, we're having a barbecue. No, this was a regular occurrence. 
And so he wrote about this to the church in Corinth. Now he's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. How many of you think, how many of you would agree, Aquila and Priscilla didn't just believe in Jesus, they became followers of Jesus. They risked their lives for this apostle. Paul's saying they put their lives on the line. These were followers. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them or to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. It was normal for the church to meet in houses under the disruption and the oppression of the early church. The church grew and it thrived because they were meeting in small communities of 10 and 15 and 20. And as they shared their hurts and their problems, others would gather around and they would pray for each other. Ministry, we look, you know, we could complain, oh, well, that no one prayed for me, none of the pastors prayed for me. Guess what? We're the coaches teaching you how to act and do the things that Jesus did. And in the connect groups, that's the greatest place for ministry to take place. Amen. It says here in Colossians 4 verse 14, our dear friend Luke, that's the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. What an honor to be the person who has the church in their house. Philemon chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and a fellow worker, and also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in the book of Romans, Paul makes note of another gentleman who allowed the church to meet in his house. In Romans 16, verse 23, Paul says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here have enjoyed, send you his greetings. Gaius was the host, and he allowed some groups of the church to come into his home. What an honor, what a privilege to allow the body of Christ to come into your home. You see, I really believe that this story about Peter and Andrew and James and John, two things, casting their net to catch fish, and number two, mending their nets to retain everything they catch, are very significant to the pattern of the early church, evangelism and pastoral care evangelism and pastoral care. 
And in a large group, we do evangelism. And in a small group, we could do evangelism. We have Steve and Lisa shared with me that no sooner they launched their connect group, they had five people who don't go to church, don't believe in Jesus, and they were part of their connect group. How awesome is that when the church is meeting in houses and there are people from the neighborhood who aren't born again, but because they're friends with, the, with, with Steve and Lisa and maybe some of the other members of the group, here they are in a church setting in someone's house where maybe it would take them weeks before they came to a place like this. But in small groups, we look after each other. In small groups, we open up. In small groups, we hear who's hurting, who's broken. And in small groups, the body of Christ ministers to the body of Christ. Amen. We have made church so convenient because our measure of success is numbers. And yet, that's not what we always see in the Gospels. The measure of success is how much we stand on the truth and stand for the truth. Can I get an agreement? Amen. 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 We need the church to start looking and acting and smelling like the early church. America is in a dangerous position. But it's in a dangerous position because the church is half asleep. We have eliminated so many things that we've thought aren't crucial or necessary. And we've taken the lowest common denominator and then specialized on that so that church is convenient to the masses. You know what? Jesus believed in his cause so much, he didn't hesitate to call people and to leave their world to follow his world. We made the gospel so simple, and all you have to do is believe, but not be a follower. Christina, you're a follower. Because you don't just believe in Jesus, you live for Jesus. You're making yourself available. You're making your home available. We have host homes, people who are saying, I'll open up my house. We have leaders who are giving up a night, a week, or every two weeks and saying, I will run a house meeting because this is what the early church did. And this is the only way we can mend the nets so that we keep everything we catch. I thank God for the fact that we've launched 15 connect groups. And I think Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gabriela had 23 people their first night. And that didn't even include them. I think Pastor Amy and Pastor Stephen had 20 last night as they met for connect groups. And whether a group starts with 3, 5, 10, or 15, the point is we are getting back to the roots of the church 
and to a biblical pattern because the church of Jesus Christ must rise up. It is the only thing that will help change the hearts of the nation. You see, America is not landmass. America is not red, white, and blue. The Amer America is white, beige, brown, dark brown, black, it's yellow. America isn't what we have and own as a economically as a nation. America is not our military. America is the people. It's the color of different skin. It's the culture of different people. It's the language of every man and every woman. And the only way we will change America is not through politics. You can only change the heart of a man or a woman through the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's the church that holds the keys of the kingdom. If he has given us the keys of the kingdom, don't you think he's given us the keys to the United States of America? How can you possess the keys of the kingdom and not have power over the world? We have underestimated the power of the, uh, of the kingdom of God and we have desecrated the church by throwing everything in the book out of the book and we've settled with the least demanding requirements so that we could appeal to the masses. And when you compromise to appeal to the masses, the very thing that once gave you power is the very thing that will make you insipid. Jesus said, come, follow me. And so as a church, we're not just following the things he said. We're going to follow the pattern of the early church as well. Can I get an agreement here? Amen. Yeah, come on, stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. The first challenge of today's message, you're sitting in your rowboat, you're sitting in your fishing boat, you're sitting in your little world, you're sitting in your family, you're sitting in your own little affairs, and Jesus comes by and says, follow me. Are we going to be just believers or are we going to become followers of the King of Kings? If we're going to follow him, we're going to imitate him. If we're going to follow him, we're going to talk about what he talks about. If we're going to follow him, his passion is going to be our passion. Come on. You can't be a follower of Jesus and he's passionate about the things of God and then we're dispassionate. Being a believer isn't enough. He wants us to be followers. And I want to imitate him. I want to act like him. I want to smell like him. I want to think like him. I want to look like him. I want to accomplish what he accomplished. And too often, the church has been minimalized and marginalized because we've left all of that to the pastors and to the preachers. And yet, Jesus came to make every one of us disciples and followers so that the body of Christ is evidenced through you and you and you coming together, praying for each other, believing with each other, standing for each other, fighting for each other, caring about each other. 
The church met together publicly and it met together house to house. The church cast its net to catch fish and it mended its nets to keep all the fish that it caught. Are you hearing me today? America needs you. Yeah, play. Political leaders cannot change the hearts of human beings. America is not about landmass. America is about people. People with stories. People with hurts. People who have been broken and disappointed. People who have needs. America isn't America if it's not about individuals. America needs the church of Jesus Christ to wake up. And we got to get back to our roots. And we got to get back to doing things the way the Bible set the example. It's not enough to go to church on a Sunday. We are the church. Let's be the church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Let's not just be believers. Let's be followers. Maybe you need to leave your net. Maybe there's areas of your life where you need to lay that down. Maybe there's something that was so central to your family, it's been handed down for three or four generations. It might be a lifestyle, it might be a business, it might be a philosophy, a mental belief system. We need to lay down things that don't line up with following Jesus Christ. And the first call is to everyone in the house. Are you a believer? Or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you imitating him? Are you doing what he does? Are you living with passion for the things he was passionate about? How many of you here can agree Jesus was passionate about people? Yeah? So are you passionate about people? Are you passionate about getting people born again? Are you passionate about letting them know how awesome God is? We get so concerned about our financial future. We get so concerned about our careers. We get so concerned about what I'll have at retirement age. I want to tell you that the more you take care of God's business, the more God will take care of your business. I absolutely emphatically believe it. I've sold my whole life to serve him. Drag our kids along for the ride, and here we are four generations later after my great-grandparents. Here we are, every one of them, following Jesus Christ, involved in the church of Jesus Christ. Listen. America's taught you you need a degree so you can have a great education and then they filled the universities with people with such liberal thinking those people's intention is to take the belief of God out of the hearts of your sons and daughters. And so we're aiming for this goal but the devil set us up. The devil has set us up because our kids get saved in church and then we lose them in places of higher education. We need to cast out our net 
and mend our nets and come together, convenient or inconvenient, and be the church that meets together house to house and in public places, praying for each other, caring about each other, calling each other up, and looking after each other. Amen. As I close this message today, I'm so excited about what lies ahead of us. I want to be a part, Jeff, of the church that comes alive. I want to be a part of the church that helps to revolutionize the rest of the church. I want to be a part of the church that is invading the community. I want to be a part of the church that is living and breathing the gospel of the kingdom of God here on earth. How many of you want to be a part of that church? Amen. Every eye closed. Every eye closed. There's another call. And that call is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, I'm not asking you, are you Catholic? Are you Methodist? Are you Presbyterian? I'm going to tell you right now, even if you're grace and faith, that ain't going to do anything for you. Unless you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. I'm not asking you to become a member of this church. A church will not save you, but Jesus Christ will. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, and then today, I want you to meet the king of the kingdom because he can be the king that changes your life for better. Amen. Maybe you, you walked away from Jesus years ago. Maybe you've never given Jesus the opportunity to come into your life. Well, every eye is closed right now. If something's tugging inside of your heart, if in your head, in your emotions, you know, this guy's talking to me. I need this Jesus. While people have got their eyes closed, I want you to raise your hand and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Come on, right across this auditorium. If God is calling you, speaking to you, you want to ask Jesus into your heart, raise your hand right now and say, Jesus, thank you, sir. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Who else? wants to accept Christ today as their Lord and their Savior. Maybe you've never done this before. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna let the church become the evangelists. I want every person here very gently, respectfully, sensitively, I want you to turn to someone near you, whether you know them or you've never seen them before, and I want you to ask them, do you know Jesus? Have you invited him into your heart? And encourage them, if they would like to do that, to raise a hand. Come on, turn to somebody right now. Turn to people in front of you, behind you. This is the church following Jesus, doing what Jesus did. If you have never asked Jesus in your heart, we have one man has already raised his hand. Who else wants to say yes? to being a follower of Jesus Christ today. Fantastic. Awesome. Great. 
this is what we're going to do. Sir, you know who you are. You raised your hand. I acknowledged you. Others are probably still thinking about it. I want everyone to repeat this prayer. And if you raised your hand, or if you haven't, but you want to, I want you to join in with us and pray this prayer. And this prayer is to invite God into your life. You don't have to sign a membership. You don't have to join a church. You join the church when you let Jesus come into your heart. The only church that matters is the church made of people. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Would you repeat this prayer? Dear God, thank you for believing in me, for knowing me, for caring about me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. And today, Jesus, I acknowledge this isn't religion. You died for me. And today, I'm asking you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life, to come into my business, to live inside of me. I want to follow you. So Jesus, I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. And I welcome you from this day forward. Live in me, live with me, and live through me. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Amen. Now, Father, I take the authority that you've given me. And for those who have prayed this prayer today in earnestness, those that raise their hands and mean this, I just take the authority you've given me. And I release the blood of Jesus over every man and every woman who prayed this prayer. And by that blood of Jesus, I release forgiveness. I release mercy. I release grace. I release the Spirit of God to touch their hearts and literally come into their lives. I thank you, Father, for decisions today that you are reading and watching and acknowledging. I break the powers of darkness off of people. In the name of Jesus, we have authority over the kingdom of darkness. Come on, church, join in with me. And we rebuke the powers of darkness that have harassed and manipulated and broken people's lives. And today, in Jesus' name, for as many have received Christ, today we break the powers of darkness off their lives, off their minds, off their circumstances. And in Jesus' name, we release you into the freedom, the love, and the care of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone say,